fans this is holding the high line with red and friend it is monday august 15th 2022 my name is matt pollard we are brought to you by icarus fc and roughneck scarves rabbi has just landed as of a few hours ago back in pittsburgh so he is thoroughly jet lagged from international duty so just like fortuna sitard we brought maloney back from the denver post brennan plone hello Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I should be pointing out, folks, uh, unlike Rabbi and Brendan, when I was on international duty back in March-April time, um, recording this in person, um, I don't know. I don't know if we've talked about this, like, on public space. We're Brendan. not on we, public We live relatively close to each other. I won't reveal what neighborhood both Brendan and I live in, but we're not too far away from each other, so we figured doing this in person would be easier. So just like with me and Rabbi back the game the day after 4th of July when we recorded, we are in the um, second bedroom of my condo recording. We haven't come up with a fancy name for this, Brendan. Um, we were, when Rabbi, when he records in Pittsburgh, it's the Michael Azira Memorial Podcasting Basement. I obviously <laughs> just introduced you to the Jeff Lorenowitz Podcasting Kitchen Island Table. Um you have a, a gander on what we should call this what we should call this room yet? We don't have to give it a name. Um <laughs> on the spot, I'm struggling to think of something. Um Pablo Mastroni. Mm, no, I got nothing. That'd be a decent I I feel Pablo like Pablo Pollard Podcasting Podium. Podium? I don't know, but it's a no, like no. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, if you if you if you have a good idea for a way for us to put this, I should point out that all the stuff that we name after, for the most part, Brendan, are people that are significant to, like, the emotional heart of the podcast, not necessarily representative of the best players in Colorado Rapids history. <laughs> this podcast technically is dated after Pablo Mastroeni's stint with the Rapids, both as a coach and as a player. I should say Jeff Lorenowitz hasn't involved with the club. So TBD on what we're calling this, which may or may not be used for podcasting again, because, okay. In any case... Uh, Brendan, let's get started. You and I had some media availability last week to kind of talk about the end of the secondary transfer window. There was a lot made of the Mark Anthony K trade at the time, what, back June 11th, I think it was, when it happened. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about it here on the podcast. We tweeted about it. You wrote stuff. I wrote stuff. And there was a lot of questions about what the team was going to do after that. And ultimately, the only thing that they had done was bring in Felipe Gutierrez, who has had two really good appearances for the Rapids. But given what Pork told us in the aftermath of the Mark Anthony K trade and then what we talked about with him and Fran Taylor last week, some stuff didn't go according to plans. No. Uh, I mean, they absolutely tried to get stuff done at the deadline. It was made very clear by both Pork and Fran. Um, you know, as, as Fran put it, you know, they tried to, you know, I guess swing for the fences, if you will, and, you know, they struck out 
this time, but it doesn't mean, you know, they won't have a second at, at bat come come uh, January and when, when the primary window opens again. Yeah, and so I think the thing to point out, folks, Brandon, I think you and I, pretty much everybody has heard that they were looking for a midfielder. It wasn't right. going to be a center back despite Gustavo Vallecia's kind of slow integration with the team and, you know, the inconsistent form we've seen from Wallace and Danny, it was going to be a midfielder, probably a number eight. Pork, I guess, gave us one little hint saying that it's a player that's going to go abroad, going as in they had not yet. So I guess, folks, if we're trying to, if you or me, Brendan, are trying to pick back who this could be, I guess, let's see, do we find a player in the next month or so that signs a pre-contract, or is there somebody that makes a big move in January that was known to have been in the works for around this time? I'm not entirely sure. I think that one thing that's maybe a good thing about that aspect is it's a player that wants to go abroad, and typically the Rapids have done a very good job in their recruitment of making sure they're bringing in guys who want to be here for some reason. They want to play with Robin Frazier. They like the ethos of the club. Mm -hmm. They like being in Colorado. There's something about that that draws them to it, to where they it elevates themselves after that. And so I don't know that spending all of the Mark Anthony K gam on a player who wasn't going to be here long-term or wasn't interested in being here long-term was going to become problematic in ways that maybe ultimately Kellen Acosta's time at the club ended up being, you know, unhealthy and ultimately they needed to part ways at faults of multiple people, including but not limited to Kellen's desire to go abroad. I think where fans are again upset is this is another window where there was one piece that was needed mm -hmm. and you can talk a lot about oh we're being selective as opposed to being as opposed to being active and what being active means you can talk about oh we tried to get a bunch of people but you know manchester united needs a lot of work right now <laughs> and if they don't sign anybody in the next couple of weeks if there's not a serious overhaul that's going to be seen as a failure given the need for it and given the financial might of that club and we saw in january when the rapids had three targets at striker and none of them worked out and kind of the last option was the in domestic what could they get for cheap guaranteed money in Giassi's artists. But that's something that they've been good at. Finding good in-market talent versus trying to, you know, look abroad. Yeah. And so that's what Porig and Friend indicated. They were looking abroad, or in, you know, within MLS again. And it was just one of those things that I guess just didn't come to fruition. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting because they they do have so much cap money, um, not so much, but plenty. If you look at across the board from the trades that, that they've made, um, it's going to be really interesting how aggressive they are come the the next window. But for now, as fans rightly you know pointed out, they were looking for that prominent piece that really could get them above the playoff line for good. And Felipe Gutierrez is absolutely a strong option in the short term. Mm -hmm. It's to, de to be determined if they'll ultimately end up signing him. What if he's got a couple good years left, you know, that would be, it would might be a wise decision. Um, but also if you look at the midfield, you know, it is, Aside from Ralph Prizo, I mean, it's it's a pretty aging group, you know, with with Colin um, and uh, Jack, Brian Acosta and yeah, Jack we'll, Price has been injured at times. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit, folks. But no, it's it, it, you bring up a good point, Brendan. I guess where 
as someone who's covered this team long term, you know, like 2018, they had so many options that they were, I think it was 2018, yeah. They had so many, like, there were like five attacking strikers that they were ultimately linked to, and none of them worked out. And what did they end up bringing? It was Joe Mason on a loan that was terminated early, and Yannick Boley, who scored like two goals, like, he got paid more than 100k in TAM per goal that he scored that season for the Rapids. And I think it was pretty clear early on that they was, it's better for us to sign somebody and take a risk than to not sign anybody at all. Mm -hmm. And so I understand and empathize with the fan that says, like, I've heard this before, I've seen this before, you had a bunch of targets, they didn't necessarily work out, saying, we're not going to make a bad decision. Like, they don't want to hear that anymore. Like, they want, like, at, like at some point, swing at the damn ball, yeah. I guess would be the response to Fran Taylor's saying that they were ready to swing for the fences, and they just were waiting for their pitch, and that pitch never came. And so I can understand the fans who are frustrated about that. I guess the one caveat that I would put is, every single time I've kind of heard Porik has said this outright, I think, since the two players have departed, but I heard from so many people in the club, on the coaching staff, front office, people and just around the club that, it, you know, it had been percolating. They knew two years out from Tim Howard and Skelshin Gossi's contracts expiring that that was dead money on the cap. They were lame duck designated players, and the club, from a roster rebuild standpoint, could not move forward without those two coming off the books. They knew that those two weren't coming back for 2020 by the end of 2017. And so I think in that regard, the Rapids have been maybe rightfully so influenced by the we don't want to get into that situation. You know, it's the, um, you know, pay for it now or pay for it later. They didn't want to have to make a move that was potentially pay for it later. Now, the response, of course, you could say is that if you bring on that player and he's the difference in making the playoffs or possibly making a run at MLS Cup, He's worth it. So I understand the logic and the thinking that the front office ultimately went through that led to no big moves making. Let's bring in Gutierrez and still still give the club flexibility for January. But I totally understand the fans that are like, well, at some point you have to sign the big piece that's missing. And saying that you had four target, like you're, you're in this to sign players, not to almost sign players and then not make a bad move. I realize to an extent they're kicking the can down the road. Um, I'm willing to give them patience in terms of what they do in January, what they do in the offseason. This is what the third, fourth straight year they don't have a bad contract they can't get out of <laughs> at the end of the year. But, um, you know, I, I understand the fans who aren't patient about this and still think that that's that what was said, that what was quoted back to you and me in our, our writing was basically just, this is lip service for dancing around the fact that KSC won't let them spend money. But, um... <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, but... I think fans are just kind of almost frustrated that the front office has been too pragmatic and mm -hmm. hasn't pulled the trigger enough. Um, yes, they last year they got Mark Anthony Kay. Um, and, you know, I, I, I uh, looked up the deadline day deals under Porig, and I think there's been like four of them. Um you know, three years where they didn't uh, make anything happen. Now I guess it's four, including this year. Four years in which they did on deadline day. So mm -hmm. heading in, it was it was quiet and it was like pragmatic, and it felt like there was rumblings that something was in the works, but ultimately it didn't happen. And mm -hmm. so fans are kind of yeah, uh, just uh, you know, I, I totally understand their tweets back to us saying you know, try, give it a go. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, 
this is a front office that really does have a strong process and the underlying numbers and analytics and they like to make those moves happen, you know, at the, at the start of the year in, in January and, uh, you know, in December leading up to the opening of the window. Yeah, Real Madrid doesn't get any brownie points for almost signing Kylian Mbappe. PSG <laughs> gets all the credit for signing Kylian Mbappe. Exactly. Um, other branch of topic that we have, um, Brandon, is obviously officially, you know, Cole Bassett is now a Fortuna Sittard player for the Eredivisie season that will be for 2022-2023. This has kind of been in the works. It was kind of going back and forth, and I sense ultimately it happening was kind of contingent on a bunch of things happening for every single party involved. We now know that even though there are FIFA stipulations to have a loan within a loan, officially there's no relationship between Firenord and the player anymore. So Firenord's effectively terminated his loan. He comes back to the Rapids, goes on a separate loan to Fortuna, Sitard, mm-hmm. Feyenoord maintains an option to buy him for the summer of 2023 at the originally negotiated fee from back in January. That combined with the loan fee, and Brendan, I think it's a valid question, what happens to the loan fee? Because he was only there one-third of the length of the loan. But in any case, the, the total assets of that was believed to be more than the Sam Vines transfer, so I feel comfortable in saying that transfer fee is at or near what Royal Antwerp paid for Sam Vines this time last year. Um, and then, obviously, I've had some reporting, you've had some reporting, Tom Bogart's had some reporting, saying that uh, potentially Firenord needs to make a decision on that by March. There might be an opportunity, if that doesn't come through, for Fortuna Sitar to come in and buy Cole full-time if they end up staying up. Um, and then uh, for Fortuna was in a relegation battle last year. They've got a new owner. Mm-hmm. They're trying to mm-hmm. reevaluate the club. They missed out. Uh, so it's the bottom two teams in the table get relegated. The third-place team goes into a relegation playoff, just like the Bundesliga, and then Fortuna was one point above them, um, and then coincidentally just below uh, Sparta, Rotterdam, which yep. is where Eunice Namli yes. is yep. at. So they were in a relegation dogfight last year. They're yeah. trying to avoid that. Cole is a nice stopgap. You know, it's, it's a nice bridge player to them being more stable, and then can they do something more beyond that? Th- that being said, Brendan, of yeah. a, a relegation team... In the Eredivisie, you know, I mean, like, is there that much of a step up in terms of going to that compared to a, an aspiring MLS team? I'm not entirely sure. We've seen Luca De La Torre parlay this and other stuff with the national team right. and then also at the club level. So I'm not saying, if nothing else, Cole's getting to give Europe another a full year try on a team where he's going to have a better chance of making a starting lineup. As opposed to, you know, an Eredivisie club that sells four players for 60 million euros and wants to try and beat PSV or Ajax into the top two. And then, you know, if nothing else, that'll be another year of data in a known quantity where I just, I don't think that European teams, they have enough data on what they know Colbasset is in MLS. They need to see him try and do it in Europe for a team that's going to be relying on him. Mm-hmm. That's good for Feyenoord. That's good for Cole. That's good for other teams that might be interested. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, an intriguing move, but as you said, can he single-handedly be the guy who gets them, you know, an extra couple wins and lifts them up into a more stable, secure mid-table spot, which is what they're hoping to be? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's never had an opportunity to 
get an, a, a chance like this where he could really make a name for himself in Europe with so many pairs of eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this move intriguing. And it's going to be really interesting because they're going to lo- they're going to rely on him a ton. Mm-hmm. And maximum minutes means maximum exposure. And Feyenoord, I mean, they have to decide, they have to know, relatively speaking, that w- from what we've heard, by March if they're going to make a deal. So, yeah. you know, even out of the question for the U.S. picture, for, like, his own stability in Europe, he has to prove himself almost by December and January. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a really interesting start to the Eredivisie season for him and for Fortuna. Yeah, but, I mean, if we're talking, if it's March and they're comfortably out of the relegation battle, and, you know, he has, let's say, I don't know, five goals, seven assists, it's 12, I can't remember how many games they play because it's the, because they don't play it even because it's not just, wait, it's 18 teams, right? Yes, I think it's 18, 18 so yeah. then 17 times 2, so 34. So if we think about that, like five goals, ten assists from Cole this year in MLS would have been great. Right. So if he does that, and that's the difference for them making the pl- not making the playoffs, them avoiding the relegation playoff, then um, you know I think that would be that would be a good fit. I think the only area where I think this is a distinct negative in terms of the Rapids is like if I told you there was another if I if I took away the name and the face and the recognition and everything and you got what Cole Bassett is from a known quantity standpoint with the Rapids, mm-hmm. you would have been like, that's the piece that was missing from the midfield. Like if the yes. if the player come maybe <laughs> maybe maybe then Brendan, you know, the maybe then Pork was was pulling a maybe the joke is on us is that the, the call was coming from inside the house because Cole wanted to go to Europe. Maybe that's it. Okay. So um us trying to uh, us trying to plant stuff notwithstanding you know i think that that's the only real negative on this is that is that Cole could be having the would be filling in an immediate hole in the Rapids first team right now mm-hmm. and i think the only way that maybe this backfires is if he's an absolute dud at fortuna the clause gets triggered in terms of performance in terms of certain metrics to where he comes back in january then if nothing else he's a rapids player for the All start of for start of 2023, season. but then I think at that point we can say that his, and then there's no interest whatsoever. I think we can say that, you know, his European adventure is a failure. Cause I think of at that point, that doesn't work out. You know, he's 20, 21, 21. 21. Yeah. Like, but I mean, you know, that's, that seems a bit cruel well, to, to decide after a one year loan period, um, where, yeah, he was, he had he cracked the eighteen, got some minutes with with Feyenoord, goes on loan with Fortuna, and if it doesn't work out immediately, it's he's only good enough for MLS. Like you know, the Eredivisie is a strong league, and I think there is some wiggle room where he could absolutely make a strong case that he deserves to be there. But it's ultimately up to Colorado whether they decide. He should. He's going to be the key piece that helps us reach our playoff dreams and goals with MLS Cup. Or, you know, we're so happy for him and he deserves to give it a go in Europe. Yeah. Well, I guess what I mean by that, Brendan, is that you know when we talk about the European dream, I think there's certain leagues that we think about. Obviously, there's the big five, and there's maybe a handful of leagues that are 
bridges towards that and everything. You know, Security like visa definitely is a bridge. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, for Austin Trustee, for example, the championship is a stepping stone and everything. But, you know, like, you know, League One is in Europe. Like, do, could Cole Bassett be starting for Crawley Town right now? Yeah. Could he yeah. be starting for some random club in the country in, you know, Croatia? Could he be starting ne- next to Nicholas Mosquita in Greece? Absolutely. I think there's certain, when we think about Europe, like, we have to cast off, like, I think outside of maybe FC Copenhagen or one of the Swedish teams that's in Europa League, like, none of Scandinavia counts in that category anymore. Would we say that a middle-tier team in Poland is going to Europe? So I would think for for that, in terms of Americans, we're talking about, if it's not one of the five leagues, then it's, you know, Belgium, the Netherlands, Portugal, and everything. And if I think if you can't work out with a you know, a full year or at the very least, you know, a, a first half of the season on a relegation candidate where in the Eredivisie where, like, they're bringing you in, then what are all of the other European leagues, like, saying or thinking about that mm-hmm. and everything? You know, does a, at that point, does a, would a, if we go to a random executive on a Bundesliga 2 team, we were like, do you think Cole Bassett would then work out at your club? I think at that point, then, he has to come back to MLS, and there has to be a reset in terms of what he does that has to be different from what he's already done in MLS, or he'd have to break into the national team for, I think, a reevaluation to, you know, to come up at that point. So I'm not saying that the door is closed, but certainly in terms of his stint trying to make it in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. that will be seen as a failure. And look, he'll come back in, and the Rapids will welcome him, and I'm sure Robin Fraser would do a fantastic job. I say rehabilitating, but kindly in terms of that's not fully what Cole would need, and I would fully expect him to then, you know, go on a tear and be, you know, distressed assets. I will show you Holland FC, you know, in 2023. Um, anything else that we want to say about the secondary window, Cole Bassett, or anything that's, um, I guess, uh, re- really briefly here, Brendan, uh, what, what have we made so far from Felipe Gutierrez and the hole that he fills in the team? I mean, he's, I've noticed in the two games how composed he is on the ball. I mean, as Jazzy and Diego Rubio put out after even just 45 minutes, like, he slows down the game, and it's almost like, you know, comes to him in slow motion. And, like, we really saw that in the, the other night against Columbus, and he was really strong. I mean, just making good uh, challenges, you know, finding guys when, you know, there was another guy on him or whatever. And so for a 31-year-old player who has World Cup experience, he definitely does bring a certain presence that, I mean, nobody else at the moment in that midfield, like, really provides. Mm-hmm. And it's only been two games. And it's like, okay, um, will they bring him in full-time, you know, permanently after after the loan ends to be determined, but so far, I mean, it's a promising start. Yeah, I think the, the key thing for me that's really different is that I haven't really seen him lose the ball. Like, how many times did we see Mark Anthony K get the ball in a decent area, usually try to do something, mm-hmm. but then ultimately give it up and not be able to get it back? So in that regard, you know, Gutierrez is more of like a Darlington Nagby in terms of get the ball in a bad area, and then find a way to transition forward and then try and do something positive with it. And I think that's something that's definitely missing 
from the midfield. Brian Acosta is going to play it safe. Um, you know, Colin Warner's going to play it safe. Ralph Frizzo might try something, but he might be a little bit naive. And Jack Rice will do something, but obviously further deeper back and then try and be a regista. So in terms of midfielders that are breaking the lines, I think the only two that we could really say right now on this roster are going to be able to do that in the final 10 games are going to be Rubio, obviously, and then Gutierrez. In that, he's a nice compliment and kind of fittingly is doing something that we hoped for and didn't really get from Mac this year. Um, listeners, this past Saturday, as previously mentioned, the Colorado Rapids got a 1-1 draw against Columbus Crew. Crew came out with a better team in the opening 20 minutes, third straight game in which the Rapids concede the first goal of the game inside 10 minutes. Cucho Hernandez on a great shot at the back post off of a recycled set-piece opportunity. Pedro Santos with the primary assist on that. I think there's a valid question what went wrong defensively for the Rapids with that shape. Only two Columbus players in the box, neither center back around, ultimately the ball into the box. Ironically, it was the two fullbacks and Lucas Estevez, I think, the most at fault in terms of trying to mark on Cucho on that one. William Yarbrough forced on into an awkward save off of a really, you know, bending, venomous shot from Lucas Elarion in the 13th minute. It looked like it was 1-1 on 23 minutes with a goal from Giassi's artist off of a second opportunity, but he was ruled offsides on that. Nice little counterattack between Barrios, Barrios finding Rubio, and then it was on the Rubio pass. Brendan, you and I both believe that Zardes was ultimately ruled offside. Jonathan Lewis in there to help get the rebound to Zardes on the called-off goal. And then finally, the Rapids are able to get back on the board in the final minutes of the half. 39th minute, a PK is drawn off of a uh, Steven Morera, I'm not sure, M-O-R-I-E-R-A, I'm not sure how, what to do with that, Brendan, um, but a handball on him off of a header by Jonathan Lewis set up by Michael Barrios, Diego Rubio steps up and takes it, hits the bottom left corner, Eli Room guessed right and was never going to get to that, 12th goal of the season for Rubio, mm-hmm. new personal record, eight games in a row eight. on the score sheet, which is a ties a personal record for him that he yeah. had back at Kansas City. And the only other player with his longest streak is Sebastian Driussi, who's probably going to win the MVP in a couple months. Yeah, eight goals straight with a goal or assist. I mean, that's something to keep going. Yep. Um, Second half, both teams tightened things down, turned into more of a playoff game for me. Not a whole lot of opportunities. Both teams being a little bit more conservative, kind of. Both teams were playing three at the back when they had possession going forward mm-hmm. to kind of have that stable base, and then both teams switched to a back four once they ultimately lost the ball. Wasn't a whole lot of space in behind. I think the Rapids' fullback stopped being dominated by the Columbus Crew wingers in the second half, but it, it tightened up and turned into a gritty game of, like, no man's land up the midfield, nothing happens, and then somebody ultimately gets frustrated and commits a yellow card foul. Um, maybe the best chance for the Rapids would have been 69th minute, Nicholson kind of cutting inside centrally and then shooting and with that little curler that Eli Room had to do some acrobat- acrobatics on. Uh, and then 77th minute, probably the best chance for a winner in the second half was uh, Derek Etienne Jr. getting in behind. William Yarbrough has to come out. Etienne doesn't make a quick decision, kind of has to dance around, and then Yarbrough ultimately makes the point-blank save on that one. Third straight game, I would argue, Brendan, that in the final 20 minutes, Yarbrough makes a save that preserves the result for the Rapids, despite the fact that he's given up, what, 10 goals in three games? William Yarbrough's been extremely critical to this run for the Rapids. Uh, Brendan, I'll throw it to you first. Good things from this game. Good things from this game. Uh, Well, I guess uh, scoreboard watching... (laughs) They, oh my God! Yes, <laughs> the seventh. I mean, 
I mean, not just this game, but across the weekend. I'll look it up. Um, it was, let's see here, 7th place, 8th place, ninth place teams in Nashville, Portland, and Seattle. Uh, all three teams eventually played Sunday, but all three lost. Um, but specifically from Saturday night, the good thing, uh, you saw in the first half, even after the early goal, uh, you know, you did see the attack come to life. It took 20, 20, 25 minutes, but it happened. You know, Jazzy, Zardes got into good spaces. Um, you know, Rubio was dangerous. Barrios had a few good chances. I, I, I thought Johnny Lewis was, you know, fairly quiet. I mean, granted, he did end up going for the header that cost the handball, but really it seemed like, you know, that was more or less, you know, it was, it was a quiet game from him. Um, elsewhere, I guess, so the good thing is, you know, even after going down a goal, we saw a response from the Rapids attack. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was decision day level scoreboard watching on Saturday night. So I'm just going to go through, Brendan, games that we were talking about during, while the Rapids were currently playing. So, mm-hmm. so something that would have occurred after kickoff and before the full-time whistle. You had Toronto coming back to throttle Portland 3-1. You had the crazy Austin-Kansas City game where Kansas City came out to a lead. Austin came back and ultimately won it. What stoppage time for Sebastian Driussi. 90 plus 4. 90 plus 4. You had Dallas beating up on San Jose to keep them in that position. I, I think we're at the point... I think Dallas is a good of enough team, Brendan, to where you'd want them to beat the bad teams and then just finish above the Rapids to leave space for the Rapids to try and finish 5, 6, or 7. Yep. Um, and then also, if we're following it, this one was kind of... And then you had Montreal uh, taking the lead on Houston, giving up the lead, and then coming back to win 3-2. Um, critical, obviously, given what we'll talk about in a few minutes. And then similarly, I'm not sure how to feel about this one, Brendan, because I'm kind of convinced that like Vancouver... Vancouver needs, like, one light push to, like, just fully collapse and almost win the spoon. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, you almost would have preferred them to pick up a draw against the LA Galaxy. But anyways, um, Galaxy run away 5-2, kind of a crazy scoreline on that one. But in terms of teams at the Rapids don't want to get caught up on them, pretty much every single result that night. And the only other one that would have happened, um, we would have been seeing the score as... Uh, we were waiting for post-game media availability would, availability would have been LASD 5, Charlotte nil. That doesn't really matter at this point. The Rapids aren't winning, the, aren't winning the Shield. So every single other game that would have been relevant to the Rapids took place at some point during the 90 minutes on Saturday. And for the most part, other than maybe you want the Galaxy to lose so then the Rapids could catch them, every single result broke their way as well. And then if we look forward to, obviously, the day after... You had Minnesota giving Nashville their second straight loss at home. They've been bad at Geodis Park. The Rapids have yet to go. They'll have a game later this season at Nashville. That bodes well in terms of can the Rapids go there and get a result against a team that's currently on that playoff bubble. And then RSL just breaking Sounders' hearts as Did well. Did not see that one coming. Me neither. Okay. So enough out-of-town scoreboard watching. Let's get to the actual match that's relevant here. So, Brendan, my two good things, you know, Rubio again. I don't know that he had a great 90 minutes. He certainly wasn't as good as he was against Minnesota. But I think getting the record and doing it in the way that he did, even though it was a penalty, a penalty that he didn't earn, I thought was particularly emphatic. And I think just that that further highlights that I think he's the attacking piece right now. He's the focal point of the offense. And if he continues to do what he's done last season, 
he individually will have statistical success, and that will make the other players around them better. Like, eventually Jonathan Lewis is going to score on one of these really good opportunities. Yeah. You know, if nothing else, if Rubio keeps finding him, eventually... I don't want to call I don't want to call Johnny a, a blind squirrel per se, but you know, eventually he's going to find the back <laughs> right. of the net. Jonathan has had these spurts all year where it's like he's gotten into great opportunities. Sometimes he's scored. Sometimes it'll be like four games in a row where you know he won't score, and then randomly he'll finally get the one. It's like okay. You know, where's that consistency? And then we don't see it for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then typically I found that when when Rubio's clicking, when Barrios is clicking individually, mm-hmm. they're on the same page and they kind of they become force magnifiers for each other, which is a benefit. And then I mean I think Giassi had a tough task in this one because yes. as soon as Columbus switched to the back three Colorado wasn't getting anything really in transition. If nothing else, like Zardis's role was simply, I'm going to occupy Jonathan Mensa and then create space for everybody else. I realize there's a lot of people who rightfully so will say, oh, but he didn't score and he didn't create a whole lot for himself. You know, he gets that spacing a little bit, you know, more right or holds his run and everything. Mm-hmm. We might, maybe we're talking about a 2-1 win for the Rapids or certainly it being a better situation at 1-1 in the 23rd minute rather than 1-1 in the 41st minute, but, you know, if nothing else, I think even when Zardes hasn't had a good game, he's done a good job of making himself useful to the Rapids and making himself annoying to the opponent, and if nothing else, he made it so that Jonathan Mensa couldn't do anything else but deal with Jossie Zardes. Yeah, that's, I, I, I guess I would I totally agree with that, because, yeah, while he he did have that goal that was waved off, and, you know, he had a couple, maybe half chances, he was a pest, and sometimes against a good team in Columbus, you know, that's what you need uh, so that everybody else can, you know, create around you. And if so many people are, if the back line is trying to focus on, on you, and, you know, of course Columbus knows Jazzy because that was his team for the last how many ever years before the spring, um, you know, they know what he can do and they know how much of a pass he can be. So in that way, he, I think he did have a good game. But, yeah. So, good points there. Mm-hmm. Um, Brendan, bad things. Where, where do you want to do? Do we want to start at the start? Uh, yeah, no, actually. I mean, that's the second bad thing, of course. But I think the number one glaring thing is the discipline. Again, it is just. I I know it's the dog days of summer, and the team is fighting for a playoff spot, but. The amount of unnecessary yellow cards and tactical fouls. I mean, how many yellows were there, Matt? Uh, right? Estevez for a tactical foul that was, you know, basically retaliatory. I thought Danny Wilson's was warranted but could have been avoided. Yeah. Brian Acosta for persistent infringement. So several fouls leading ultimately to the yellow card. Diego got one. Uh, and then Diego got one in the 78th as well. That yeah. was. Uh, it's called for an off the ball. When I saw it initially, I thought it was. Uh, I, I thought it was for. Um, what's the the disagreement, not um, dissent. dissent. Thank dissent, you. Yeah. So four yellow cards, and obviously that will lead to Estevez yellow card accumulation, and then Brian Acosta will miss his second game of the season for yellow card accumulation. Both of them missed two games. Yeah, so you know well, that's n- now will be two games. Yeah, and then Danny's also had one. Danny's not there yet as well, but he's also gotten one for yellow card accumulation as well. And you know, I think based on how the teams maybe. Lacked that, particularly from a leadership standpoint. I think if Jack was fully healthy, he would have gotten one yellow card accumulation game as well. So, you know, I think 
you know, we, we were in the post-game media availability where Sam Nicholson was tactfully... There's been a real theme recently, the last couple of weeks, folks, of, like, people in the media trying to ask a question to get information, but also not put a player or a coach in a position to get fined, and Sam had to do some dancing on the ball, if uh-huh. you will. <laughs> you know, and he kind of pointed out, like, there were points where the referee was quick to the whistle. Yeah. More so where I think a lot of MLS refs would just let that stuff kind of go. Yeah, and but he also called him an approachable ref, which was interesting because it's like, well, where was this in other parts of the game? Yeah, so I think the I think the main frustration for me at that point, and we've seen this throughout the season, folks, is that when it's a tightly called game, I feel like the Rapids are the ones to lose their head before the opponent, mm-hmm. and then at that point they start to self-destruct a little bit with getting frustrated, taking that out of the opponent, and then just putting it... They, they force the Baldomero-Toledo effect of just the game turning into a yellow card fest. And if you just, like, take a moment calm down, compose yourself, understand what the ref is doing, adjust how you defend in order to account for that, and then also, like, understand that, like, if there's slight contact and you go down, you get a set piece. Like, Columbus played that to a T mm-hmm. perfectly mm-hmm. in the first half. Um, Seattle did that really well a couple weeks ago at where just we realized that just the ref was going to call everything really quickly, and yep. Nico Lodero, get on the ball, somebody contact me, I go down, we're in a set piece. Yep. Um, you know, or Will Bruin somehow fouling... Uh, uh, Lawless Abubakar, Lawless playing the ball, and then that getting played out of bounds. Sounders Twitter convinced that that was Lawless trying to prevent the freak. And we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> that was a couple weeks ago, but yes. yes. Holding, been... holding the high line does not want to get fined by the MLS Disciplinary Committee. But so, you know, I think the, say what you will about the official and how they called it, at some point the Rapids have to learn how to like, to recognize what the ref is doing and then play into that mm-hmm. to the strengths rather than just get frustrated because this is a team that is at their best when the physicality is allowed. Jonathan Lewis embraces that from a winger standpoint. Yes. Sam Nicholson will try to take advantage of that. Diego Rubio thrives in those moments. Mm-hmm. Where Lalz Dububakar is allowed to be a free-roaming meat truck, he's capable <laughs> of being a wrecking ball against opposing teams. And so that's great. But when the ref doesn't allow you to play that way, you have to adjust rather than just get mad and then, you know, hard tackle somebody and then ask the ref to give you a yellow card. So yeah. um, I'm frustrated, Brendan, again, with just another early goal. You know, Keegan Rosenberry kind of summed it up post-game and everything. Like, we've talked about, he, it, you know, yeah, he had focus. a really good quote. Uh, let me, you know what? I'm going to look this up, folks, because I tweeted it out. We've been preaching concentration and focus and all of these buzzwords for a long time. It's one moment early in a game. It's a broken play, you know, off of a corner, second chance. It's frustrating. It comes down to us being together and defending well. In terms of why it's happening early, it's hard to say, end quote. And I think that kind of summed it up of just like, you can talk about this and that being your identity and something it did so well last year. Mm-hmm. I think if it was an easy fix or if there was something obvious that they were doing wrong structurally, Chris Sharpie would have addressed it right now and they would have moved on. I, I don't know what it is. Brendan, maybe it's just, maybe it's all in their head. Maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe they need a, a sports psychologist. They need to bring somebody in who doesn't eat any sugar and then can, you know, help them come <laughs> up with some mantra, you know, full Ted Lasso, Lasso style as where, um, but I, I don't know what the answer is at this point. It's, um, it's, it's interesting though, because Robin pointed it out following heating where at different points of the season, they've conceded goals at almost around the same minute mark. Like, midway through the season, it was, you know, the opening five minutes after halftime. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 
I think back to Houston when it was the 90, 90th minicle. Um, you know, against Minnesota and Dallas and, I don't know. It was end of the first Some half. other team, yeah, yeah, end of the first half. So it's like, at various different stages of the season, they've that concentration has slipped, and it's cost the team a goal. And now we're seeing it in the opening 10 minutes. But as Robin has pointed out countless times, this team has you know the character to come back from that and has shown that uh, spirit and fighting effort. But I think he's even probably per- perplexed by it. And especially as a former MLS Defender of the Year, you know, he can preach defensive principles and those buzzwords, like the concentration, like the focus, yada yada. But if it, if the communication isn't there in the moment, and if somebody makes a brilliant run behind you and gets past you and you don't communicate that, boom, there's a goal. Like like what happened in Columbus. So it's just one of those weird things that I don't even know if anybody can figure it out. <laughs> Regardless of the trends of when they're giving up goals, Brendan, I feel pretty confident saying just this team defensively is not as good as they were last year. It's it's a league. And for yeah. and for them to make the playoffs, a lot of other things are gonna have to go right if they don't fix that. Danny Wilson has regressed as a player. We've seen Lawless lose his head and just be off on particular nights. I think it's fair to say Keegan Rosenberry is having his worst other than maybe his first year, which would have been, I think, 2017 or 2018 under Anthony Hudson, where he had a couple own goals and gave up a penalty or two. This is probably his word. Like, normally we associate Keegan Rosenberry, Mr. Iron Man, you know, 34 starts, 90 minutes played and everything. He's never injured. He is your lockdown guy. The opposing left winger is in Keegan's back pocket for 90 minutes, and he has not been that from the run of play, and even more so he hasn't been that on set pieces, and, you know... Of all the players that are now on the mostly back four that we've seen this season, the one that's always the most liable defensively is Lucas Estevez, and you bring him in there because of what he's doing attacking-wise. But from an individual marking standpoint, he's the person that's most culpable on the goal. I think maybe ironically, if we're nitpicking this from a film study standpoint, like I'm sure Robin and um, Chris Sharpie already have, you know, for the team looking ahead to the game on Wednesday, is you look at it and they kind of clear the ball initially and the defense almost doesn't reset Re- yes. from the set piece. Re- recycled plays are the recent trend that I've noticed that has killed mm-hmm. the Rapids. I mean, they'll clear the initial ball. Um, I mean, granted, Minnesota, the opener there, was came off of a corner. But mm-hmm. in most cases, yes, they'll clear the initial da- danger and then, you know, all right, guys, we got it. And then, you know... They they lose focus and then the ball is whipped back in and goal and, and it's like okay yeah the, the, that recycle play you know they don't uh, manage the shift in its entirety mm-hmm. and maybe what I'm about to say is going to be really insightful or really controversial Brendan is that I think the person that's then most responsible to kind of be the prevention there is maybe Yarbrough to yell everybody to get up or to reset. Because I think if they're set up in their run-of-play defense and everything, I think Danny Danny tracks over and then gets a body on Cucho, and then I think at that point it's an easy communication, and then Yarbrough gets that in the air, or Estevez punts it upfield relatively easily. But because they're in their set-piece defense and the ball gets shifted over to that side of the field and most of Columbus players are overloading on that side, you know, Lawless is naturally going to 
Lawless, for better or worse, is like a gnat, is like a moth to a flame. <laughs> and so he's just going to go towards that. Naturally, then there's a bigger space. Danny has to stretch that out. Yep. Nobody yells at either of them. Yarbrough, as the goalkeeper, is kind of in the omniscient view, kind of seeing everything. If he says, even just Danny back up five yards and everything, maybe that play ends up differently because then Keegan or Estevez feel like they have a little bit more rope. But just, again... We've seen this thing so systematically, and they've clearly addressed this, they've clearly been practicing this. I mean, I I don't have a really good answer, and I think the fact that Keegan didn't have an answer shows that, um, you know, they're trying to figure it out, and I'm not sure what the answer is long-term. Um, the answer might be just to try and outscore their own mistakes. Yeah, which has worked out really well the last three games. I, I don't know that I'd want to attempt that in a playoff no, game at Austin not. or at LAFC. Um, last bad thing that I have, Brendan, is we went on that little sidetrack. Um, Yaya Torre comes in, what, 85th minute, he plays five minutes, goes down to the box, non-contact injury, he's holding his knee, he has to come out. The Rapids, to their credit, do a really good job finishing out stoppage time, effectively down a man Mm -hmm. to play for a point. As soon as Yaya physically gets off the bench, or off, uh, out of the sideline, he needs to get help to the bench. He does not move, and a golf cart has to come take him. Yeah, and um, it didn't come till like, five minutes after full time. Yeah, and, um, you know, Brendan, we'd heard some stuff, and I know you had maybe heard some... He was in a lot of pain, right? Yes. And... Uh, That's what we do know. We do not know the extent of the injury. It can't possibly be good. No. And, I mean, Robin literally said it's obviously not good. When the first question that our colleague Keith asked was about Yaya, and... He didn't know, and he just said, it's obviously not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, can, can, just thinking about the injuries that are, that have, I just get, been mounting for the young players across the year, and now Yaya, who, mm-hmm. a guy who had a recent, really, really strong breakout period between R2 and the first team, that's a big loss within the context of the season. No matter if it's a couple weeks and it's not as bad as they fear, or, Heaven forbid. Yeah. The worst. You know, let's say he was holding his knee. Yes. It was a non-contact injury in the box. Let's, you know, worst case scenario. He did not, he did not have to charge after that ball, but he's an 18 year old kid with coming off of, off the bench and says, go give some energy. He chased after a back pass that, you know, he was, that almost nobody would have really gotten to, but Mm -hmm. good for him for just giving it a go, but he got, caught in the grass and yeah yeah no, but if no, he no. thinks if you know he watches the film against Dane St. Clair against Minnesota and he thinks if Eloy Room spills this and I pounce uh, on it yeah. and get the winner sure. I'm working my way into the starting lineup towards the end of the season so I can't fault that effort but I mean no. if this is something long term Brendan you know the my daily game day tweet where I have to put out all the injured players and list all the other you know we're talking potentially Yaya along with Brian Galvan Abubakar Keita, and Alu the Raz, that's a pretty good scrimmage 4v4 team right there. Mm-hmm. That the Rapids don't have at four different distinctly valuable positions, and this hurts the team's depth. I mean, I, I guess this is, I, I guess this is more garbage bench minutes for Darren Yappi is maybe the one positive I can come out with. I mean, with maybe that. somebody from R2 gets called in. I don't know. Like, I've been impressed with Kyosuke Hanya, but. Mm-hmm. He's he plays the same position as yeah yeah Toure, but um, they just played Sunday night, so probably not. But I mean, long term, you don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it did not look good live, and 
we don't know what's going, what the outcome is going to be, but, you know, we're on almost pins and needles hoping that we don't have to read another, you know. Thursday morning press release, Yaya Torre had successful whatever surgery. Exactly. He's been out for, well, I mean, if it's to the point where he's having surgery, it's probably safe to assume he's out for the season. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, last big thing that I really have on this, Brendan, Columbus Crew's a really good team. Mm-hmm. They've got two really good players. Mm-hmm. Cucho Hernandez has been exactly what they've needed from, uh, you know, from the striker position. You know, if the big complaint now in the long term, I think it's pretty clearly obvious that Zardes won the breakup with Miguel Berry in terms <laughs> of like who's the better, like who's the better girlfriend in this scenario. Um, but if the complaint against Yossi Zardes is, you know, you weren't a multi-million dollar striker that we're bringing in from abroad, paying four million dollars to acquire and three million dollars a year, like Okay, congratulations. There's no player on the Rapids who is above the replacement of that caliber player. And so if that's really the complaint and everything, then good for Columbus. And Zellerian is kind of similar to Reynoso in that he can be an absolute Rapids killer. And the Rapids found a way, having Mm -hmm. flubbed it up five minutes into the game, to get a point out of it. And if the Rapids turn this week into a four-point or a six-point week, then this will be a really good point in the midst of a really good stretch. So I think context is going to matter. If we're talking about this, you know, two wins against playoff teams, a draw against a fully healthy playoff team, and then you beat two non-playoff teams, we look at this upwards. If it's a draw against Vancouver or, God forbid, a loss on Wednesday, then it's okay, this was part of a, this will be a blip in an upward trajectory or a part of the downfall. And so I think the Rapids can build off of this despite all the things that went wrong on Saturday. So the big thing is it's a big point in what is coming up to be a make-or-break week. Mm-hmm. Okay, l- last thing. Completely nothing to do with the result or anything, Brennan. The red card in stoppage oh. time. Oh, my God. Um, we were so confused. Yes. <laughs> okay, I... Red card comes to the bench. Yeah. Referee has... I don't know how you have two red cards. Two red cards. Because I figured you'd only have one in each hand. Yeah. And everything... So, Robin's right there. Wolvie's right there. We're not entirely sure who it's going towards. It goes to the equipment manager whose name escapes me, Brendan, but whose face I remember. Um... I'll look this guy up. Yes. Yes. Um... And so you talk about the confusion and then ultimately what we got from the... What was confusing was because Wolvie and... Robin were out on, you know, the touchline area, kind of, whether, and at that time, Darren Yappy, or Darren, uh, Yaya Toure just went down, so there was that going on, too, and all of a sudden the referee shows double fists, red card, and with the overhang of the bench, we can't see who he is referring to, whether it was a member of the staff, whether it was a player, another assistant, or because he had two red cards, it was, wait, did Robin get a red? Mm-hmm. Did Boldy get a red? Uh, and ultimately, it was the the kit man. Hayden Andrews. Hayden. Hayden, Hayden Andrews, the... The equipment manager. The senior equipment manager for the Colorado Rapids. And then the actual thing that he was ultimately red carded for that I got confirmation. That's right. Mar- <laughs> Brendan, part we of me... We had, we had to file a pool reporter question, Matt, because... <laughs> <laughs> quote, we sure. Yes, okay. So from so from the pool reporter question, uh, quote, the equipment manager was sent off for foul and abusive language towards AR1. Uh, assistant referee... I'm going to assume they're meaning the fourth official in that. 
Maybe. As opposed to, because you would say the linesman if not. Right. So in any, okay, so in any case, and, um, Brendan, I realized you weren't covering the team at this time. Jack Price got sent off for a single F-bomb at the MLS's back tour. I personally have, pitch side, heard Chris Rondo, Chris Wondolowski say so many horrible things <laughs> that have not gotten him sent off. I have heard things, I've heard things from people in the know about things said by players in the Spanish language to referees who clearly spoke Spanish that have not gotten red cards for what Jack Price said there. I'm wondering what Hayden Andrews had to say to the fourth official in that went to warrant him getting a red card. Maybe maybe it was about the injury that was going on and he was trying to point out that Yaya was down. Like, who knows? I mean, yes. between... It's going to be an interesting uh, travel party now off to Vancouver. Well, so, so I should point out there's two other people responsible for equipment according to the Rapids technical staff page on their website. Uh, Jordan Weidman and then Gavin Reed are both listed as equipment coordinators. So I think they'll be able to manage. But, you know, I think it's a valid question, Brendan. You know, like, you see in, like, baseball games when they have a brawl and a bunch of guys get thrown out and then, like, eventually the bench coach is having to make pitching change decisions and then also, like, be the first base coach when the team is batting. (laughs) And so, like, the question of, like, if you can send non-technical... Like, what if the medical staff all get sent off to the point where, like, there's nobody to go deal with an injury? How does that position get allocated as a valid question? Because I think at some point, if enough coaches get sent off, like, you would just have a player, like, Drew Moore situation (laughs) appointed as a player coach. Now, I suppose, if eventually the entire bench gets sent off, then, okay, there's nothing to... There's no subs that can be made at that point, so it doesn't really matter, but... um, Hayden Andrews, like, immediately, like, Colorado Rapids, like, meme cult legend status, and we're still not entirely sure what he said. I knew his face from going to training. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what his role was, and now I'm never going to forget this person that was just, like... Of an NPC background character for the Rapids. Dog days of summer, one-one game, ninetieth minute, gets sent off. Mm-hmm. Hayden's got that dog in him. Yes. <laughs> okay, let, let's put this Columbus game to rest, Brandon, and let's look ahead to the double game week that the Rapids have coming. Wednesday, eight p.m. The Colorado Rapids will be taking their only visit, I believe, to Canada mm-hmm. to play the Vancouver Whitecaps, and then on Saturday they will be home again against the Houston Dynamo. Uh, Rapids still find themselves tenth in the Western Conference, so they're what just two points below the red line, thirty-one points off of the twenty-four games played. They have a record of eight, nine, and seven, and a goal difference of negative two. And they'll be playing the eleventh and twelfth place team in that order in the Western Conference: Vancouver, eleventh in the West. 30 points off of 25 games played, 8, 11, and 6 is the record. Goal difference of minus 15, and at home at BC Place this season, they are 6, 3, and 3. Say what you will about their season, they've been a decent home team. Mm-hmm. Houston Dynamo, 12th in the Western Conference, 25 points off of 20 games played, 25 games played, 7, 14, and 4, a negative 11 goal difference, and then away from BVA Compass Stadium this season, they are 3, 9, and zero. Uh, Brandon, let's start about in-house what the Raptors are dealing with. Brian Acosta, Lucas Estevez, out, suspended. It's pretty safe to assume Yaya Torre is not available. And then, Brandon, would you like to give an update on what we now know about Jack Price that is not cap-related? It is chest-related. And that is, um, you know, all we know about it. Um and it was from the game against Minnesota. Oh, that's Minnesota. right. That's right, yeah. So remember that uh, 
stretch in Minnesota when he went down injured around the 35th minute. And, uh, you know, he, he was slow to get up well. It was a it was a chest injury. That's all we know at the moment. And he was able to finish out that half. And from there, um, it was a planned sub. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, what what we saw in the injury report that was certainly new uh, from from ahead of the Columbus game. But now we do know that he'll be out at least for the this uh, you know this next game against Vancouver. So. You know, a chest injury. We don't know much else, but um, the Rapids are going to have to have. They, they will continue to have to iterate on their contingency plan of not having a, Jack Price and what mm-hmm. that means for the midfield. Um, uh, let's see. Well, because he missed every game from June of the New York City June, game. Yeah, NYCFC through until last. Yeah, it would have been week. Minnesota. Would have been his first forty-five minutes back. Correct. Yeah. Or no? Did he sub on? Before that, maybe. Mm, no, he didn't play nope. in New York. Okay, so yeah. So just the 45 minutes. So I guess the nice thing about this, folks, uh, I can confirm his calf is fine. There's been no issues with that whatsoever. And Brendan, I don't know how much of a hockey guy you are. There's a decent overlap between <laughs> Rapids fans who listen to this podcast who are also Avalanche fans. So mm-hmm. I see the initial injury report and it says upper body and immediately I go to hockey playoff brain and where in the NHL folks, um, upper body injury is the coy way that NHL teams try to mask that a player is dealing with a concussion. Formerly in Major League Soccer, with their terminology, unlike the NHL, with their injury reports, they actually have to list players publicly that are on concussion protocol. So Cole Cole Bassett is. So if Jack Price was under concussion protocol, it would have said concussion protocol. So there's no, it's not a concussion. We know it's a chest thing. We know his calf is fine. We also know that you know Robin's trying to make sure that when Jack comes back, that it's the last time that he's been out. I imagine, unfortunately, they're going to continue to treat him with kid gloves, try and find answers in the midfield, because I think the long-term hope is Jack's back playing regularly and then 90 minutes fit by the time it's to make the playoffs, and they're not going to take a step earlier at the risk of not having him at all for the stretch run. Um, all, all hail Ralph Prizzo, the one true god, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because Felipe, Brian, Ralph, I mean, well, well, I, <laughs> well, just kidding. Just kidding. Brian will be out Wednesday. So. Colin Warner. Colin, yeah. Colin, Colin Warner, Ralph sense. Prizzo, Felipe Gutierrez. Or do you do, uh, you do Warner at the six. Mm-hmm. Gutierrez and Rubio. Ralph's probably your first midfielder off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a second viable sub in the midfield at that point. Brendan, to be honest. No. No. Uh, unless you call somebody up from Rapids 2, but I just don't think you can no, do that on no, thank such, you. such no, a thank short you. window. Um, yeah, so let's let's look ahead to Vancouver, folks. Um, they didn't make a whole lot of moves in the secondary transfer window. Um, should be pointed out that uh, Dahomey, who's given some of the wide players a little bit of issues with his speed, as a forward, he is suspended for this game. He got a red card in the game against LA Galaxy. Um, Ryan Gauld is kind of their central equivalent to Sam Nicholson, creative attacking player. He's also Scottish as well, so that's something to take into account. Mm-hmm. Um, the midfield's like a bunch of weird crap. They did recently acquire uh, Julian Gressel, so yeah. he'll play on the right side in kind of a wingback role. 
not having he's Lucas. Been, he, he's, from what I've seen, he's looked solid. Them like adapting, but you know, he's been all right given the season that he's had. Granted, yeah. nobody other than Taxi has had a good season with DC United, so make that of what you will. So that's a big loss. Well, maybe this is a blessing then, uh, Brendan, because then you figure Keegan on the right, Betasher on the left. Beta used to play in Vancouver. He'll be familiar with the turf. And then playing against Julian Gressel, you figure that defensively is a win for the Rapids relative to, like, Gressel and Estevez are basically going to be having the battle. Is Does my team have the ball, and am I forcing you to defend me as opposed to the other way around? Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Beta at least is, like, Beta at worst is a neutral situation well, there. And Beta is your, you know, bless him. Like, he's sturdy, and he... Tends to be really sure in his tackles and challenges when he does go for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Lucas, when he's been at that left back role, it's been a wild card. We don't know what we're gonna see. Yeah. So it's uh, I, I do like the Bajor prediction for starting there because I don't know who else you start in that position. And I mean Vancouver though, as you said, Matt, like they're solid at home. You know, like... Just but also, I look at this roster, and, like, I see a lot of names. that You know, Russell Tybert's fine. You know, they have... Uh, their big center back is uh, Renko Veselinovic. Um, and then they've kind of had a rotating situation at goalkeeper. They haven't really been able to solve that since Maxime Crepeau was sold to LAFC. So it's mostly been Cody Cropper, who's not great. And then Thomas Hassall of uh, MLS's back, uh, Scott Sterling thing mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So, so so basically, Matt, you're saying this is absolutely a doable three point situation. I yeah, I think if if there was a if there was a team that you had to play in the Western Conference that's bad and you were short handed and this would be the team to have that and still try and go get a win, it would be them, it would be San Jose, mid-week, it would be like, Sporting Kansas yeah. City. Um it's, it's midweek, you know, it's probably not gonna be exactly an electric atmosphere, but you never know. It could play somehow. Could find a way to play into uh, the Whitecaps' hands, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm just I'm baffled as to like how Vancouver's kind of fallen off a cliff because you know Vanny Sartini comes in. Yeah, he's mostly a vibes manager, but at the <laughs> same time, like they made a bunch of really good moves uh-huh. last summer, and basically it just I don't know if this is just like all those players really hit last season and they've like regressed to what they actually are. If maybe they were all secretly busts. I know Ryan Gall's been in and out of the team, you know, Sartini's kind of played with a different formation that doesn't really suit them, but when that's kind of your main attacking player, you know, I don't see why you would, like, you know, you build the team around Diego Rubio being in a position to succeed. I don't know why you don't do the same thing with Ryan Gold. So, I don't have a lot of confidence in this team. I think they're teetering on, crashing again. Like, Vancouver is a disaster of a franchise, just in terms of, like, major international city, big ownership, Famed, you know, they got put on the map by um, Alfonso Davies and everything. Yeah. And, like, they've spent on, like, a rotating, you know, a, a revolving door of DPs and everything. Like, this is a sleeping giant. This should absolutely, at worst, be the 100%. second best team in Cascadia. Yeah. And they're bad. So, at the same time, they're a good team at home. A playoff team would win this game. A team, uh, a playoff team that is able to make adjustments, mm-hmm. that is able to deal with difficulties that is able to hashtag keep fighting and have yellow card suspensions and injuries would find a way to go into this game midweek and get out a gutsy, unconvincing performance that's a one nil win. And so that's the I was just having a Twitter conversation with Joseph Sandelson before we hit the record button, Brendan, where it's just like the I look at these last ten games and 
if they play like a playoff team, they will get the results that I think will get them into the playoffs. They've got, yes. they've got, hundred percent. They've got this double game week, and they've got one others that is a home game against Vancouver, and then a home game against San Jose. Yeah. A playoff team would get at least ten points from those four games, preferably twelve. And so I'm looking at this like four is an absolute minimum. You get six, and I probably flip from team Rapids are probably not making the playoffs to the Rapids will or at least can make the playoffs. So that's what I'm looking at in Vancouver. This is not a good team, albeit a team that's decent at home. There will be other MLS teams later this season that will go there and find a way to lose. The Rapids have to go there and find a way to win, given the uh, non-ideal circumstances. Yeah, I think this is really... Especially considering how the rest of scoreboard watching went. Mm Mm-hmm. They have a shot to move up to sixth. If they get three points, it will be, they'd stay in sixth till Friday night when, uh, Galaxy Seattle played, but they would be shoot up four spots. Yeah. And in such a tight Western Conference, and also just the East is super tight too, but in the West particularly, you have to take those moments on the road and beat the teams on the precipice who are also fighting for that, that their playoff lives. Like, it's it's absolutely a six-pointer. Yeah. This whole week, really, it's essentially like 12 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Between this week and, you know, Houston on, on Saturday. Yeah, so we've gone on some changes here, Brendan. We're already over an hour, but it's a double game week, so, so I feel like it's, it's worth having this conversation. So here's the remaining schedule for the Rapids, folks. So as we mentioned... Vancouver on the road Wednesday, hosting Houston on Saturday. They're at Philadelphia, at Nashville, at D.C. Philly's a scheduled loss deal with that. (laughs) Nashville is finding a way to not be a good home team as a team that opened up a brand new soccer civic stadium. You know, um, it's a cup, you know, three weeks is a long time for Wayne Rooney to make D.C. United less bad than they have been. Mm -hmm. You know, but you think at Nashville, at D.C., could you get a win out of that, Brendan? Could you find a way to get two draws? Then you've got another double game week starting on September 10th, hosting Vancouver. That's a must win. Hosting San Jose September 14th. That is a must win. Then you finish out the season September 17th, Saturday, October 1st, Sunday, October 9th, at LA Galaxy, hosting FC Dallas for the final home game of the season. Decision day, you are at Austin. The LA Galaxy are one Dejan Jovalik hamstring away from completely crumbling as well. Dallas is going to be tough because then at that point they've probably qualified for the playoffs, but they're fighting for seeding. And if that game's a win and you get a home game in the first round, that's going to be tough. Austin probably, Austin's probably not winning the supporter shield. They could be locked into second place by the time we get to decision day. Who knows where Drew C is in terms of competing for the Golden Boot? That could be a that could be a lame duck game for them. You know, does Wolf? throw out, you know, a, a rotated squad and then look to be healthy and, you know, 90 minutes fit for the playoff game and everything. And so in that regards, you look at those four, the two weeks of the easy games. This week, Vancouver-Houston. The week of September 10th, Vancouver and San Jose. If that's 10 points, and then that gets you from 31 points to 41 points, you figure, I think it was 48 points got you into the playoffs last year. 50 should do it easily. You're halfway there. You need nine points from Philly-San Jose... DC United, LA Galaxy, FC Dallas, Austin. Can you get nine points from those six games where it's two bad teams that you have to play on the road, 
potentially a Galaxy team that season is fluttering and are ready to collapse, and potentially Dallas and Austin looking forward to the playoffs rather than thinking about their final games and everything. You take care of business against the bad teams, you have such an easier schedule against the actual good teams that you have to deal with. Like It simply comes down to a playoff team would get at least four, preferably six points this week. Mm -hmm. A playoff team would get four or six points the week of September 10th. They would find a way to get a win or two draws between Nashville and D.C. They would win. They'd get a win, a draw, and a loss between at L.A. Galaxy hosting FC Dallas at Austin. You straight do that. You're the seventh seed. As weird as this season has been, as so many things have gone wrong, Jack Price isn't healthy. They don't have their DP striker. Their DP striker's not in form and everything. The defense can't still figure it out. As much as, like, they've been inconsistent of all the little things that have not peaked to where this team has not been a fully operational battle station, you simply play like the seventh place team in the Western Conference these final ten games, you are in the playoffs. It's literally right there. So prove it. Yes, that's what we're saying. So uh, on that note, uh, Brendan, normally when we do double game week podcasts, we don't do a prediction for one game, but we'll do a points prediction for the um, for the two. So let's look ahead to Houston, who have struggled in the second half. Yeah, um, they've had a lack of tailspin. Yes, they've had a lack of. Consistency. I'm gonna say six point week. You're gonna say six point week. Yes. Okay. Let's let's get to Houston itself, one thing at a time. All right. Um, they've had a lack of a, a consistent goal scorer for me recently, other than Fafa Pico doing stuff in transition. Fafa Pico basically, folks, is foreign, less good, but still really fast. Jonathan Lewis, I think, is a fair comparison. Yeah. Um, and then Hector Herrera has kind of settled in to the midfield, but I think is realizing, wow, I'm on a bad team around <laughs> me, and there's only so much I can do to make them less bad. Mm-hmm. So he's had, he's had some pretty good, like, MLS faces of the week on Getty Images, if you've looked at that. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's going to be tough for the midfield. Obviously, I guess Brian Acosta will be a weak fit. Outside chance, I, I don't think, I, I'm guessing, don't count on Jack being back and ready for Saturday, folks, but if he's able to come off the bench and help Brian potentially in the final 15 minutes, I think that would be a, a big up, certainly. Um, and then maybe Ralph Prizzo as well. Um, I think unless Hector Herrera balls out on Saturday night, I think this is a Houston midfield that can be had. We know their defense is leaky, especially in the second mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. You'd have to think with them playing in altitude, they would fade as the Rapids would deal with that. Yeah. Even though, does Houston have a midweek game? Uh, I don't, I don't believe they do. I don't think so. So, okay, maybe those two things balance each other out because the Rapids have to be on the road. Let's see. Next game is? Uh, the 20th. Okay, yes. So they do not have a midweek game. So maybe those two things end up balancing it out. But this is a bad team that normally the Rapids have been able to dominate with their home games and everything. This is a team that has clear and distinct flaws and basically just don't get completely caught out on the counter or completely dominated them with Hector Herrera, like, dominating you like a Reynoso or like a uh, Ryan Gauld or a Lucas Elrayon would, and you should be able to get a result. I'm going to say a four-point week, Brendan, but okay. I'm, I'm going to flip where, where do you see the draw? Uh, <laughs> can I see the lineup for Wednesday yeah, night that's before fair. I see that? Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. So, I, you know, I think I'll... I'll I'm always an optimist, so I, I started off, yeah, six-point week. I... A little less hesitant now that I think about everything, but still think somehow, some way, 
Doesn't matter how, they'll get a six-point week. If it's four, I think it's more likely you draw on the road. You yeah. play for a nil-nil or a one-one on Wednesday, yeah. and, then you, and then you go hell for leather on Saturday. Absolutely, I think Absolutely. would be the most likely outcome. I will. I guess I'll I'll go on the record here, folks. Even though I've been team the Rapids probably don't make the playoffs, I will say I will be on. So I've been on team the Rapids probably don't make the playoffs. If it's a six-point week, I will as of Saturday night officially be on Rapids probably make the playoffs. Um. So I think that does it, unless there were any other big things that you wanted to say, Brendan. No, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, go ahead, go, go plug your stuff. I, you can find me on Twitter, at Brendan Plown, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-P-L-O-E-N. Uh, my stories are on Denver Post, and while you might see some uh, high school football stuff, as it is getting to that time of year, uh, I am absolutely still committed to the PIDs. Uh, and yeah, keep reading Matt's stuff and my stuff, and thanks for reading us all year, Rapids fans. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's been great being a uh, getting my second cap tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Rabbi, I forgot to ask you this, Brendan. Um, I mean, to, we've talked about this off podcast, but you were at Marquette when the recently retired Axel Huiberry was there as well. Yes. What do you remember about him as a as a college soccer player? Well. That was my freshman year, and that was his senior year. And they started off that year as, like, a top-ten team in the country, and Axel was just everywhere on set pieces, like, on both sides, and it was so good. Still probably the best player in Marquette soccer history to come out of the, of the program. You know, just a really good guy, and uh, everybody in Marquette loved him, and so he is a Marquette legend as well as a pids a icon slash cold hero slash legend mm-hmm. so um were you being in journalism uh, were you covering the team at all that year or did you cover the soccer i covered the team my junior and senior year and uh let's see here when the year after i graduated they had two guys get drafted um by dynamo and new york red bulls but they are both playing in the usl one year uh my senior year, uh, Wicho Baraza, New York City FC's backup goalkeeper, is uh, he played at Marquette, and he was, oh my gosh, he was a phenomenal keeper, and he is now backing up Sean Johnson, is learning the ropes, and hope to one day see him starting between the pipes. Axel's obviously very Was it super easy to recognize him on campus? Yeah, he was <laughs> like, you know, granted Marquette had a... a very tall basketball team at the, at the time, Ooh, but yeah, yeah um, as as a you know probably what six eight guy with long blonde hair, <laughs> like yeah, he was instantly recognizable. Like oh, he's the famous Swedish Swedish guy in the soccer team. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, legend. So good old uh, college soccer and. Rapids connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank our two sponsors, folks. Uh, Roughneck Scarves are an official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, USL, and U.S. Soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarves.com. And they might be dropping some merch. I don't know if you saw, Brendan. Supposedly, the USMNT World Cup jerseys are leaking on Twitter, and they look basic AF. Give, um, us, give us the wall. Okay, so, um, well, maybe they'll have some fun scarves, and maybe you can get that official scarf merchandise at ussoccer.com for a reasonable price, unlike paying $100 for a plain white shirt or 
some watermarked blue shirt that says Christian Pulisic on it. Um, <laughs> and then I want to thank our others, uh, our other sponsor, Icarus FC. Are you tired of the, the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates that you get from Nike Adidas that may or may not be designing World Cup kits? Are you want a unique or completely custom kit for your club, Sunday League squad, adult, pro team, or office? Icarus FC can help create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Their motto is literally any design you want seriously. Let them design your next custom Waldo kit at IcarusFC.com. Listeners, follow me on Twitter at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out all of my and Rabbi's Rapids-related content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer and our substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. Read us in web form there. Uh, subscribe to us for our email newsletter and then also become a paid highliner for 5 bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year. Send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL on Twitter. You can find us at Rapids96Podcast. Uh, on the Twitter machine, and then if you want to get touch in long form, rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Brandon, thanks for, you know, coming on and everything. Uh, we'll be sending the, the check of podcast allocation money to the Denver Post, so uh, look out for that. And listeners, we'll see you next week after a six-point week for the Pits. Mm-hmm.